from app.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. That's right, it's time for another episode of Jersey Jump Shot. Thank you for tuning in. Episode 10 on the season, we have hit double digits. Thank you for sticking with us for each and every episode along the way. Ryan Ross here, of course, with Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson, and Chris Eisman. Our first show here in the month of February, Selection Sunday, just about a month and a few days away from now. So we're starting to talk more about the brackets and the end of the year and our conference tournaments and all that fun stuff. We're going to get into that for some of our teams. We're going to start here at the top of the show, though, with kind of a broader discussion. Uh, a couple important topics we want to hit on first with the the net and uh, the, the ranking system there. And then kind of more about how are we determining uh, who gets in? Is it based on the number of games you win, which is usually how things work? Obviously, this season, things aren't working that way. Do we go on win percentage? We'll get more into that. But, Jerry, I know you wanted to get something off your chest first to start us off here about the net. So this should be this should be the best time of the year for college basketball, right? The NFL is over. The Super Bowl, which stunk, is over. The <laughs> NFL playoffs, which was a huge disappointment, is over. And now it's time to get juiced and uh, jacked up for uh, – for the NCAA tournament and the big run-up to it over the next five weeks, six weeks. So we should be all fired up. But I got something sticking in my craw right now that's related to this, okay? So let's just catch everybody up to speed. The net is the tool that was recently introduced by the NCAA to be a guiding hand for the selection committee for the NCAA tournament. It's not the only thing they use, but it's the main metric that they use, okay? And the net, basically, the principles of the net are as such, right? It it determines basically quality wins. Quad one, the best wins that you have. Quad two, the next best, toughest games that you've played. Quad one and two, your record against those teams are the main thing driving uh, net, how the way the net is is ranked and organized. Also, road wins. Record on the road is, is weighted heavily into this, which is bizarre this year because, let's be honest, like, there's almost nothing to playing on the road. Travel, yes. If you're traveling across country, if you're flying in COVID times, yes. But for the bus trippers, I mean, there's really – these arenas are empty. Like, in the Big East, road and home teams are pretty much 50-50 this year. The home home court advantage is mostly gone, but yet it's still weighing heavily in the net. Uh, this year, the net was tweaked to take – supposedly, we don't know the formula. It's kind of a mystery, like a lot of things with the NCA. The net was tweaked to uh, – to take margin of victory or margin of loss out or to reduce its prominence. Yet if you're paying attention, the big wins like blowouts are still having a big impact on how this thing jumps around. So I want to just go and just illustrate how flawed the net is. Okay. So the net as of today has Penn state ranked 28th, 28th would mean solidly in the field, right? Penn state is seven and eight overall. They're three and seven versus quad one, five and eight versus quad one and two, one and six on the road. Okay, and just as an ex for an example, their Ken Palm, which is like an efficiency rating, is 30. Seton Hall. Seton Hall is their net is 45. There's 17 spots behind behind Penn State in the net. Okay. So Seton Hall's in bubble territory where the net's concerned. They're eleven and eight overall, three and four versus quad one, same number of wins as Penn State versus quad one, six and seven versus quad one and two, a game better than Penn State versus quad one and two, six and four on the road. Penn State's one and six on the road. Seton Hall's Ken Palm is 32, roughly the same efficiency rating. Seton Hall won at Penn State. Okay. Why is Penn State 17 spots ahead of Seton Hall in the net? Why? The net is flawed. Colgate See is 13th. 
Colgate. Colgate <laughs> is 13th. Colgate has seven wins. Four of them are over Holy Cross. Four wins over Holy <laughs> Cross. Blowout wins. They're 13th in the net. The net is messed up. How can this thing be used? Well, see, once again, here's another example of the pandemic exposing flaws and things. And it's done it in a bunch of things in college basketball. And this one happens to be the over-reliance on metrics to determine so much of this stuff. Whatever happened to, you know, just common sense and the old eyeball test and that's what the committee needs to be using more this year rather than the net. And quite honestly, they need to be using that and a lot more common sense every year, not just this year. No doubt about it. I mean, that's the that's the thing is we become this metrics obsessed society uh, and and you have to put that aside this year. Like the net is an example that cannot be the main determining factor for who's in the NCAA tournament. I'm sorry. You're going to have to use use your eyeball, use your common sense. And there has to be more to it than just a metric. It's just ridiculous. And so I want to talk about the, the bracketology now that's that's starting to come out. So I don't really pay attention to this stuff until, you know, around this time. But bracketologists, you can kind of tell who's leaning on the net and who's not. So, for example, Brad Wachtel, who is New Jersey's bracketology guy, who I think is the best bracketologist there is, high accuracy rate. We'll have, we're going to have him as a guest on the show um, next week. But Brad's his bracketology is not out yet for today, but I know he's going to have Rutgers and Seton Hall in the field. Um, Joe Lunardi of ESPN has has Rutgers as a seven in his latest. He didn't update it since Saturday. He had Seton Hall in the last four in before they won at UConn, so they'll be they'll be in the field uh, pretty solidly. You know, you would think uh, probably not on a probably ahead of a buy, probably like in a ten or eleven when his thing comes out today. Uh, Jerry Palm with CBS Sports. Jerry's been around a long time. Jerry's a good guy. Jerry was is a, was one of the pioneers of use of metrics and ranking sports teams. Jerry doesn't even have Seton Hall on his bubble. He has them totally out of the field. Jerry, what are you doing? Are you looking? Are you relying on the net? What are you doing? He has India. He has he has Connecticut as an eight seed. Connecticut is an eight seed. Let's look at Connecticut's net, okay? Let's look at their. I mean, let's look at their numbers. Connecticut's numbers. Okay, UConn's numbers. Let's look at them. Seton Hall six and seven versus quad one and two. Calling up Connecticut right now. Got to find them here. All right. UConn is four and four. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, three. UConn is three and four. Three and four versus quad one and two. Seton Hall is six and seven. Seton Hall just went up in UConn. Do UConn and beat them? Okay. And and UConn's an eight, and Seton Hall's is not in, even on the bubble. What the heck? So I, I there's think... a lot of stuff that's really messed up. And I, you know, Jerry's like I said, he's a good guy, he's a good job. But if you're if he's relying on these metrics too much, he's doing it wrong. Like your bracket is just is a joke. So that, that's the these thing. These are the too. issues we're facing. With, with just the average fan, with you know the the average fan that's watching, that's supporting these teams, that's watching. It's it's just such a head scratcher, like you said, Jerry. That if you beat a team head to head, that seemingly counts for very little, if if not nothing at all. So you know, as a fan, if you're sitting home watching these games and you're going, okay, you know, Seton Hall beat UConn at UConn, they're the better team. That's what my eyeballs tell me. And then you look at these rankings and you look at the the bracketology. It's it's just got to be the most confusing, just maddening thing ever to to have your team beat a team head to head. And the team that lost 
is 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 ranked higher. Uh, it's it's just look. You can't you, you can't, can't totally rely on head to head because it's a long season and things get convoluted. It's not football. You know, you play a lot of teams multiple times. But when when you have the same or better overall metrics than another team and you've beaten them head to head on the road, I mean, come on, <laughs> come on. So there's a lot of things going on here, and the standings. Is another issue because this is how conference tournaments are going to be seeded. And Steve, we've had this discussion. There, are, it's hard to it's hard to to calculate standings this year. It should seem simple. It's not. No, it's it's very tough. And and obviously, you know, Mammoth in the MAC, they're using total wins. Big East using winning percentage. Uh, so teams, different leagues are going at it different ways. Just you know, if I'm looking at the MAC right now, Mammoth in the lead with ten wins. Two more than Siena, but they've played four more games than Siena has. So that's the disparity. Um, if you were using winning percentage in that league, Iona, which has only played four games, might end up winning the league with you know playing eight games. So it, it, there's a lot going on, and it's going to come to a head in the MAC, particularly. Siena will play its final ten games over a 22-day period. Wow. That is a grind just to get to the tournament. And who knows how many of those games you're going to get in, uh, be it your problems with COVID or your opponent's problem with COVID. So there's a lot to play out. And Monmouth getting those wins early, it, it could shake out pretty well for them. And Steve, I don't want to bash the Mac, because like you said, there's no good way to do it. Either way, you're, you're, it's, it's, it's bad. There's flaws either way. You determine the standings. But look at St. Peter's, for example. Okay, They're 6-4. and four. They're four games in the win column behind Monmouth. That's going to be hard to make up. St. Peter's has had six straight games canceled because Canisius had a pause, because Iona and Maris had positive tests. I mean, they've lost. They haven't even had a positive test, St. Peter's. They can't get the games. How are they going to get the wins? So it's really, I mean, you're kind of, they're coming, they're getting the short end, the business end of this. And the flip side, look at the Big East. You know, Zay, the Big East standings, and call these up right now. In the Big East, uh, you have, you have, uh, you know, Seton Hall has played, so Seton Hall is eight and five in, in conference play, right? They've played 13 Big East games. Xavier is four and two. They've played six. Seton Hall's played more than double. And Xavier's in third place because of winning percentage. So, like, that doesn't seem right either. Plus, Seton Hall wanted Xavier by, like, a, a million points. So, like, that's not good either. So, and again, there's no easy way to do this. But determining the seeds of a conference tournament is a big deal. And it's going to be done based on very flawed methodology. Either way. Yeah, and it seems like kind of the, the old way things have always been done are, are being applied to this season. And it's a season, of course, unlike anything we've ever seen. So that calls for kind of an updating of the rules, kinds of calls for calling an audible as far as how these things are determined. And uh, it still remains to be seen whether or not that happens. But we do mention Seton Hall, Jerry, and let's get more into them. Uh, the Pirates with wins over Providence and UConn, as we mentioned, they have Marquette coming up on Sunday. Uh, we talked about it too at the top of the show. Some have them in, some have them out. Where do you see the pirates right now? No, they're in. They're in. If you have them out, you're 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 not. It's nonsense. You're a dope if you have them out. They're in. Seton Hall had to get a split last week. They won both road games. They had to get a split. They won both, and they destroyed Providence. And they they looked really good. If you watch the game in, in beating UConn, they opened up an 18 point lead and never trailed. One by seven at UConn. Now UConn's missing their best player. We understand that. But still, the Hall's back. They've righted the ship. I don't know that it was ever totally wrong. I mean, they lost three straight games against better teams. 
two of them in heartbreak fashion. It happens. Give them credit for getting up, dusting themselves off, and playing like a veteran team. So with Seton Hall right now, to me, is in good shape because they've now gotten through the hard part of the schedule. Okay, They have five scheduled games left, six if they likely will make up the, the postponed game at Butler. They're going to be favored in at least four of those games. And if they win four of the of the six, they're, they're, they're going to be in the tournament, no questions asked. So it really it lightens up for them. They've they've done what they had to do, and they looked really good doing it. You know what? Seton Hall played much better defense this past week. They had not been defending well. They got the message. Kevin Willard, who's a pretty mild-mannered guy, he got on them pretty hard. He got on his seniors really hard. And look, Sandro Malmuklashvili and Miles Kale are the nicest guys. Like, Miles Powell last year had an edge to him, right? Miles Powell would cut your throat to win a game, metaphorically speaking. Like, Miles Kale and Sandro Malmuklashvili, are, they're not like that. That's not, they don't have that in them. So Kevin needed to get them mad and get them angry and sort of get them to, to play mean on both ends, and they did. So it's a credit to Kevin Willard. It's a credit to those players for doing that. And I think Seton Hall's in pretty good shape. I mean, they 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 match up really well with Marquette. Marquette is in a total free fall. Um, Seton Hall should win this game handily, you know, at home Sunday, and then that you know that gets them to me on the glide path to getting into the dance. See, I think I think what Seton Hall showed in those two games is why they have such a huge upside, right? As you mentioned, Jerry, if that team starts playing defense. They have three big-time scorers, right, in Roden, Sandro, and Miles Kale. That is a heck of a combination. Um, I, I think they have a huge upside right now. And how do you see this Marquette game playing out on Sunday, Jerry? Because uh, that's, again, a, a game that should be winnable for the Pirates. They're on a hot streak now. Uh, is this another win for Seton Hall coming up? Yeah, I mean, I, they they haven't lost to Marquette in like three years. I mean, they they have Marquette's number. They match up well with them. Uh you know they they have to show up and play perimeter defense, but yeah, I mean they have the they have their foot on Marquette's throat, and there's no reason why they shouldn't win it. Seton Hall's better. They're home. They're hot. Marquette's cold. Look, it's college basketball. You got to show up, even to beat DePaul. Maybe maybe you got to show up to beat DePaul, but you got to <laughs> show up to beat Marquette. They do have some talent. Okay, but yeah, I mean I see I see a double digit win. I'd be surprised if Seton Hall did not win this game. You know, with room to spare. And not to be outdone this past week, Rutgers with two wins as well over Northwestern on uh, Sunday. Minnesota they take down as well. Uh, whereas Seton Hall is kind of through the difficult part of their schedule. Rutgers uh, with a tough stretch coming up. They have uh, Iowa uh, ranked, what, eighth right now on Wednesday. Northwestern on Saturday, uh, that's a winnable game, but always beating a team twice in a, in a week span is, is never easy. And then looking ahead into next week, Michigan on the schedule. Uh, Chris, let's talk Scarlet Knights. They get two big wins uh, with two games coming up this week. How do you see things playing out? Yeah, listen, that, that five-game losing streak that they had now seems like a distant memory. They've won four in a row. Uh, and they've got Iowa, but Iowa is looking a little vulnerable right now. They lost four of their last five. They lost the last two uh, in a row. Um, listen, Iowa is still a really, really good team. Obviously, Luca Garza is one of the best players, if not the best player in the country. So this is going to be a tough game on the road for Rutgers. It's a big, big opportunity to go up against a team that's scuffling right now. And you see these teams in the Big Ten, and these teams beat up on each other night after night. And this could be a time of the season where Iowa's just going through their their stretch, where it's just they're just having a tough time getting a victory. And if Rutgers can take advantage of that and go up and kind of beat a team that's, you know, had some trouble lately, 
that would be a huge opportunity for them. Another big win to uh, to improve their tournament resume. So I think they're a good position. They've they played really well these last few games. They're moving the ball a lot more. Uh, they're playing their 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 kind of brand of defense. Um, and they've learned to now get these grinded out type of wins. The game against Minnesota was a good example of that, um, of what it takes to win in this league and eventually in the tournament. So that, I think that was good for them. So I think that, I, you know, I like Rutgers going into this game against Iowa. I really do. Here's here's the thing, and this is I think one of the biggest games in the country Wednesday night. It's really a, it's a fantastic game. Iowa won a, a thrilling, well played, high level game by two uh, a month ago in the rack. So Iowa's lost four to five. They're missing a key guy, C.J. Fredericks, who's one of their starters and is just a real good overall player, ball handler, shooter. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be back or not. He's got a lower leg injury. Things have been kind of vague with that. That is a big part of Iowa's struggles here. So. But I was, you know, this is what we saw at Rutgers a few weeks ago. Rutgers went to Indiana a little desperate, right, after losing five straight and played a terrific game. Like, just scratched and clawed with their back against the wall. I think you're going to see that from Iowa on Wednesday. And Iowa's at home. And Iowa has fans. Don't forget. You know, they're letting, like, I don't know, a 1,000 people in the building, which could make a lot of noise. You know, 2,000 people. They're letting a decent amount of fans in there. So Especially they're going to have a little bit of a home court. They have now the, the thing about this is the matchup inside. Luca Garza, we all agree, he's the best big man in the country. He's probably the best player in the country. Um, but Miles Johnson is playing at such a high level right now in the post for Rutgers. What a great matchup that is. So if the whistle is pretty hands-off, you never know, especially in the Big Ten, tends to really skew toward the home team. Uh, then I think Rutgers is a real shot in this game, and it's gonna be certainly a must-watch event. To me, the the fact that Rutgers is in this position at all really shows the brilliance of what Peichel is doing this season because he took the time to get Caleb McConnell in, in there, to reorganize the rotation, the lineup. And it it hurt him in the in the short term, but it's paying huge dividends now. And you see how well this team is playing. And that's because he took the time to get this thing right. And here's the other thing. I'm a big believer in a coaching demeanor, right, during these, these kids that every team has. So like Peichel and and Kevin Willard are are not panic button get in your face guys who are going to scream and rant and you know they they they're much calmer. So Iowa's coach Fran McCaffrey's a lunatic. He's nuts, right? He was like yelling at reporters after they lost to Indiana Sunday. So I mean he's really the guy's a good coach, but he's really kind of a clown. So you know you who knows how his attitude is going to rub off on his team? Could he make that worse? I mean as Steve said. Michael made some brilliant changes. He t- turned the lineup upside down. So, but he never, but it, he never went and lost. He never lost his mind. Like Fran McCaffrey seems like he's borderline losing his mind. So I do wonder if that'll be a factor Wednesday. And, and quickly too, Jerry. Uh, by the way, app.com, northjersey.com. You can see Jerry's full top twenty-five ballot. You have the Scarlet Knights re-entering the top twenty-five this week. Yeah. So I, look, they, they're in the top. They're in the top twenty-five in Ken Palm. They're in the top twenty-five in the net. Although I think it's you know, like I said, I think it's <laughs> bogus uh, ranking. But their metrics are all are all there, and they're playing well. They're on a they're on a winning streak in the best conference in the country. So yeah, I think they deserve it. A lot of teams lost. I don't know will they get will they get on the ballot or will they get on the poll? Probably a toss up. They're going to get some votes, and you know certainly putting them in the twenty-fifth seemed reasonable to me. Iowa, by the way, is not going to be eighth. They're no, eighth as anymore. we speak. They right. ain't going to be eighth for long. I had them 19th. They won't fall that far, but they're going to fall into the, into the mid-teens probably. 
Certainly a big game coming up for Rutgers. So uh, a great week for New Jersey college basketball. To recap, of course, since our last show, Seton Hall 2-0, Rutgers 2-0, Monmouth with a sweep of Manhattan, and FDU with a sweep of Bryant. Steve, uh, a big week for our mid-majors and, and Monmouth continuing their hot streak. Yeah, Monmouth's won seven of eight now. And, and the, the key for them this weekend, uh, you know, to go up to Manhattan, it's really tough to beat a team, any team, two straight days on their home court. You know, other than Siena, no team in the MAC had done that and, uh, since the first week of games back in December. So that was a big, a big move forward for Monmouth. And to get to 10 wins, as we already discussed, you know, in a league where wins is going to get you the top seed. And who knows if there's no conference tournament, maybe it gets you more. But, you know, we'll see. So that that was huge for, for Monmouth, for sure. And here comes and, FDU, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Playing well. I Two mean, sweeps, they've now actually, moved to first place in the Northeast Conference. And uh, Jaleel Jenkins, who we all you know, touted as a preseason player of the year, he had an enormous weekend. Uh, they, they seem to have, you know, they had those, they had a couple COVID pauses, a long break. They seem to have, have righted the ship too. So you're talking about two New Jersey teams in first place of their mid-major leagues. And then the two high majors who are going to be in all the bracketology this week, you're talking about maybe four teams going to Indianapolis in, uh, in, in March. And that hasn't happened since, since 1991. So this could, this we're on pace for a lot of ball left. We're on pace for a banner season in the Garden State. Absolutely, Mammoth. They have Fairfield coming up uh, February 19th and 20th. Uh, FDU, as I mentioned, they had two sweeps over Bryant and LIU. They have Wagner coming up Thursday and Saturday. So we'll keep an eye on our New Jersey mid-majors. We're starting to get more into bracketology. So continue to listen to us every single week. We're going to wrap up episode 10 of Jersey Jump Shot for this week. Thank you for listening. Before we wrap up, let's just go quickly around. Uh, Jerry, we'll start with you. What are some things that our listeners can look out for on the USA Today Network, New Jersey to read this week? So today I have online, I, I, uh, I did a feature on Kyle Kardashian. Kyle is a Homedale kid, starred at Modern Day Prep, uh, it was a t- short conference tournament MVP, and he, he goes to Bryant uh, as a walk-on. He gets there, he's like, hey, I should be, I'm good enough to be on scholarship here. Leaves Bryant, goes to JUCO, junior college in Kansas, and then gets an offer to play at Coppin State at the an HBCU, historically black college in the MIAC, uh, which is a, a, a league of historically black colleges. Kyle Kardashian is Italian and, and German, you know, takes the scholarship. And you know what? He's averaging 10 points a game and shooting 49% from three for them. So I spoke with Kyle. I spoke with Juan Dixon, his coach, who, of course, a Maryland legend, led them to the NCAA title in 2002. That story's up today. Tomorrow, I've spent weeks researching the best college basketball coaches in New Jersey history, men's and women's divisions one, two, and three. And we're putting together a ranking that's going to be online Tuesday morning. It's going to be a lot of fun. Look, there's no easy way to do that. There's a million ways to do it. It's a discussion point, but it's also a nice way to recognize all the really good college hoops coaches we've had in the Garden State. That sounds great. We'll be looking out for that. Steve, how about you? But I can't wait to see who's number one on that list. <laughs> that's uh, that's going to be a real talker there. Oh, yeah. Um uh, and 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 the Kardashian, uh, the Kyle uh, Kardashian story is is a great one. Um, you know, we're gonna do some. We're gonna definitely have some more mid major stuff this week, and um, hoping to get involved in a little Rutgers stuff this week. So we'll we'll have some stuff. And Chris too on Rutgers duty. Big game with Iowa. 
Yeah, I'll have a story tomorrow uh, looking ahead to that game. And obviously, as we said earlier, a huge opportunity for them to to get another victory and continue to improve their resume. So we'll see how that goes. We'll have a story out tomorrow um, previewing uh, what's ahead. We'll be on the lookout for that, of course. Be sure to tell your friends to subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes. Be sure to read our college basketball coverage across the USA Today Network, New Jersey, app.com, northjersey.com. And listen to us next week, because as Jerry mentioned at the top of the show, we're getting more into bracketology, and we're hoping to have a special guest go further in-depth to the brackets next week. So be on the lookout for that. Thank you for listening to Jersey Jump Shot. Episode 10 on the season for Jerry, for Steve, for Chris. I'm Ryan. We'll talk to you next week. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com.